What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics, episode 137. I'm your host, Matt Hennifer. I'm here with my co-host, Isaiah Bros. Isaiah, what's going on, man? Just another day in Wolfpack Paradise. For some reason, I've wanted to say that for a little while, so I'm going to say it on this one. It's 2021. It is. Maybe Happy New we Year. We get rid of the cesspool. Hey, can you call it a cesspool? Just demons of 2020 and... Now we're in 2021, hopefully for a better year. Although we're in the same predicament. Yeah, we're in the same predicament as we are in 2020, which is why I don't like New Year's Day. Yeah, just getting here, as you know. <laughs> yeah, getting here was a bit of a disaster. Um, at first, we were, we thought we weren't initially going to be able to do this, but um, <laughs> we found some alleyways. We find a way to put out the content. And this is San Diego State Week, so it's like I don't... We need this. This would get, uh, this would kind of suck if you just couldn't do the podcast. Anyways, Isaiah, how was your New Year's? It was all right. Trained for um, a marathon and fell asleep at like 9.30. So it was it was a little uneventful. I Fun fact, I haven't been able to stay up till 12 a.m. on New Year's Eve the past, I think it was four years. It's been four years and counting. Just different bunch, bunch of different things, or you yes. just don't like staying up that late. Yeah, I just think I just get tired. You know, these past couple of years, it's been like gym related reasons, so I, I've been tired and stuff. But okay. I can tell you the previous two years for that, maybe like too much food and you just you know, you <laughs> zonk out. But how was your New Year's Eve? Um, it was good. Uh, one of my best friends, who's a Marine, who's stationed in Twenty Nine Palms, um, I was able to see him on new year's eve so that was awesome shout out eric if you're listening to this i don't think you'd be listening to this but hey if you are shout out so that was really cool but other than that i just we just kicked back uh at my place and just hung out that's what it's all about and i uh, yeah i don't know i'm not super uh eventful over new year's when new year's did happen i mean it's kind of hard to sleep because there was i live in sparks so there was a lot of fireworks or there was fireworks and in uh, neighboring neighborhoods, so I mean that was kind of noisy. It was pretty loud too. It sounded like almost like gunshots, but <laughs> yeah, that was that was my years. I, New Year's Day, uh, of course, college football playoff was on, so that was cool. Yeah, I mean, and the New Year's Six Bowl. So I mean, I mean that's, I guess that's something to look forward to during this time. Uh, thankfully, they're playing these games because of COVID, but. Not because of COVID, but thankfully they're playing these games despite COVID still being a thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the tail stretch at this point. Got to finish strong, right? Hate saying that, but that's kind of been the case the whole year and no quitting now. Nothing like an Alabama butt whooping, but that Clemson-Ohio State game was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was... Didn't expect that. Justin Expected Fields. a much closer game, but... Number um, 11. Justin Fields, yeah, Ohio yeah. State Buckeyes. Yeah. I wonder what like Coastal Carolina would have done to Clemson if number eleven Ohio State just just laid the yeah just, just laid, the, laid the whipping on them. I don't know, but oh well. America's team, Coastal Carolina, number you know, ten in the nation. You I mean, know it. I mean, now they're not number ten, but not anymore. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was an entertaining game in that. Alabama game was just a steamroll from first quarter on, but yeah, yeah. My 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 uncles uh, went to Notre Dame, 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he wasn't he's not too he's he even told me this he's not too invested in college football just because it's like it's not it's just everything that's going on. Uh, but he still watched it and he was like, man, like <laughs> he's like, come on, like. I mean, that offense Alabama has, dude, it's elite. I mean, we we could be talking about what is it four or five first rounders? Okay, so let's go. Th- I mean, we're Najee totally Harris. off topic. I know. Najee Real, Harris, Najee Mac Harris. Jones, Devontae Smith. Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle. Uh, do you think he's going to return, or do you think he's going? I think he's going. Maybe he, but if he can return, he'd be the sole receiver on that team. Who knows? But Oh, the, and John Mechie, too. Did we already say Mac Jones, potentially? Yeah, could I be said a, Okay. So that's four. He may be more of a day two pick, but still considering just how much firepower that offense has. I, I think he'd be a first-rounder. You think so? You think yeah, Najee Harris could be a first-rounder, too? Harris or uh, Travis Ooh, Etienne? I mean, you know me and my disdain for picking running backs in the first round. Don't do it. Um, you also have a disdain for paying running backs. And, and Dalvin paying Cook running backs, kind yep. Of, yep. He Dalvin kind of has Cook, eased my, those woes Dalvin this Cook, year. Uh, it, yeah, made me eat my words a little bit, but I'm still, I'm still, uh, I'm still holding that because it's more about the years, and it's more about the length of a deal. Considering running backs don't play as long as other positional players, and it's like also just the production's also a little bit not skewed, but so much of that is dependent on the offensive line. But then again, Dalvin's just super talented as he is, so it might not matter. Hindsight's not looking great, Dale. No. In but, hindsight, the take, my take is not looking great. But anyway, but anyways, we're way off topic yeah, here. Sorry. Also, what came out, was it New Year's Day? Was that added a transfer? Thank you. Let's get back on topic. Yeah, let's get yes. back on. We, that yeah, was we kind went, of the brighter news on the Nevada side of things. Yeah, we went way off the rails. Um, Nevada basketball added a transfer. Uh, Will Baker, former four-star recruit. Rivals has him as a five-star. Um, I don't really think it matters what it goes by. All he's he's really good, so it, I don't know if it matters too much. Um, but he was a transfer from Texas. He has three years of eligibility left. He's six eleven, and he averaged two point one points and one point nine rebounds in twenty three games last year with the Longhorns. He didn't shoot well from the floor. I think he shot twenty five percent, thirty percent, and was even worse from the three point line. But that's in such a limited sample take that with like grain of salt yeah definitely i'm with you there i mean i think really you just look at his physical traits his physical tools you see another seven footer to add to the squad and that could be some excitement right seeing some of the tape he moves well for his size he's got kind of an athletic frame and he moves well up and down the floor and just once again offered adding another piece to his program heading into his second yeah second season so it'll be Kind of interesting to see, and I don't know. Like you said, I don't really buy into much of the statistical production, just being how little he saw the floor last season, but it's been interesting to see at this point. I mean, if you want to buy into the statistical production in the final six games of the season, he averaged 5.5 points and two and a half rebounds in 14 minutes a game. He shot 48% from the floor and 36% from the three-point line, so... That's something. Okay, see? So there's maybe two sides to that story, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you could see some of the negative as a whole, but seeing how he finished the year on a positive note gives you some, you know, gives you a little bit of optimism. Yeah, he was, <laughs> against TCU, he had 20 points on 4-6 shooting from beyond the arc in 26 minutes. Balling. 
Yeah, so. we could use some of that. Him and Zane together. I don't know if they'd ever play together in the same lineup, but that would be kind of interesting. I guess I could kind of see, yeah. see Zane slot like in at the four. Fives. Yeah, see Zane yeah. possibly you know, slot in at the four real quick. Yeah, Zane is also like the better rebounder too, but... Yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, if you but, just want to space the floor and have uh, Dez and uh, Grant Cook, then just go five out and let them do their thing. That could be, or use either Baker and Zane in the pick and roll game. I don't know. It, just some ideas. Yeah, regardless, just another talented big. Yeah. Especially offensive, more offensive minded at the moment, but just another exciting get, you know. And that was some cool New Year's Day news, as you said. I think that was New Year's. It was either Friday or Saturday. I think it was one of the two. So either Eve or the day itself. I'm pretty sure it was Saturday. I think it was Saturday. But anyways, Nevada basketball, Nevada men's basketball, won their two games this weekend against New Mexico. First one, they won 68-54. And the second one, they won 84-74, as you can see. Or you can't see it. I can, but Isaiah's doing the sweet motion. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> get out the rooms in this neutral slash road slash the gym was very small that they played in slash I wish COVID was back so we didn't have to deal with this slash Isaiah's real name real name is Steve slash something slash <laughs> just just uh, a lot of slashes. Yeah. But anyways, that yeah. happened. It yeah. was played in Lubbock, Texas, and the gym was very. It was it very looks, small. It looked small. It reminded me of the Virginia Street Gym. A little bit, yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger, but very tight, concise, and condensed, and packed. It's so like, let's go over the first game. Yes, Nevada one sixty eight fifty four. I think I, I think I tweeted this out on the Pack Center account that it was like one of it's. It's aesthetically I like watching it, just because of just two teams competing and uh, getting after it and laying it all on the floor. I mean, I know the score didn't necessarily reflect it being quote unquote competitive, but if you if you watched it, just there was it was so physical. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. It was hard fought battle back and forth, and I think the game itself, like the box score didn't really show just how physical and close it was as a whole. And those types of games are always kind of big ones to mark on the calendar because you know you fought for it, and you know you had to get your parts the hard way, and Nevada did that for the win. Yeah. Yeah, Desmond Cambridge led Nevada with 24 points on 8 of 18 shooting. He went 3 of 9 from beyond the arc. Grant Sherfield added 20 points on 7 of 15 shooting with 2 assists, 4 rebounds, 2 steals. Warren Washington had 10 points and 6 rebounds. Zane Meeks had 3 points but just team by 10 rebounds. He's been he's been uh, really good at rebounding the ball this year. Tremendous. Now, someone like we already knew about his offensive capabilities and his, you know, his ability to stretch the floor, but what he's doing down low right now, just getting physical in the paint and get, grabbing so many boards, it's been really wide opening this far. Yeah, my watch, my watch uh led New Mexico with 15 points. It's the fifth time this year he's led, or sixth time. Yeah, sixth. Sixth time he's led the team in scoring this year. That's sixth Rod, in sign language. Rod Brown, the team's second leading scorer, had 14 points on three of 10 shooting. He went eight of 14 from the free throw line. Um, we'll get to the free throw shooting in a little bit. 
He also had a, a team high eleven rebounds. Neither really, neither team really shot the ball well at all. Um, Nevada missed their first eleven threes, went four of eighteen from beyond the arc, and it was it came to a point where it was it was rather close up to the time when Nevada hit their first three, and then Cambridge hit one from the corner. Um, I think he hit another one, and then Grant hit another one, and that brought the lead to I believe nineteen or around twenty points, and that kind of was a separator. Uh, late in the second half, and that's what kind of really increased the lead. Cambridge hit another one later in the game, so Nevada was not shooting the ball well from beyond the arc at all, but New Mexico wasn't really shooting much better at all. They shot 31% from the floor and 314 from deep. And, of course, really the difference in this game was the free throw shooting. Yeah, it was atrocious. I mean, absolutely atrocious. <laughs> yeah, like, Nevada went 24 of 31 from the free throw line. That's a 77%. So that's solid. Close You'll take that. You'll take that. But then New Mexico was 15 of 35 from the free throw line. That is 43%. That's not good. That's not good at all. And if let's say hypothetically in a vacuum, both teams made all of their free throws. It's unrealistic, but let's just for the hypothetical. Nevada would have won 75 to 74. Yeah, it just shows the missed opportunities on New Mexico's end. Got to make them count. Clank City. I mean... Yeah, Milo Ocho was one of seven from the free throw gosh, line. That's just... Brown, as I mentioned before, was eight of 14 from the free throw line. Saquon Singleton was two of five from the free throw line. Byron Matos was three of seven from the free throw line. Like, it's just not good percentages all around. No, and those things come back to haunt you. You know, you come up with, it's almost like empty points in so many ways. And when your opponent is possibly scoring two or three points on one end and you can only come back with one, um, that's a statistical disadvantage for you. (laughs) So it's not good. You can lose games that way, and it showed with New Mexico's (laughs) poor performance at the line. Yeah, I think it was Richie Schuler on the first broadcast because he was doing it on Fox Sports. And at one point in the second half, I believe he said that it was – I think Nevada got in the – or they get, the Lobos got in the bonus, like, relatively early. And so they were going to the line a lot. And I think it was, he said something like, yeah, it's good and bad that New Mexico's going to the free throw line. It's good because they're shooting a lot of free throws. It's bad because they're not making any. <laughs> it was it's like, simple as that. Yeah, simple as that. And so cut down the fouls, but – which yeah. we did see over the weekend was kind of a problem was fouling. Foul. But – Again, as I said, it was a physical game. It was just, it was a battle down low. And to be fair, part of that was the fact that New Mexico, who is one of the best, if not the best, offensive rebounding team in the nation heading into Saturday or heading into Thursday, they were getting a lot of putback opportunities, but Nevada did a great job at defending the rim. And so there was, oppor- there was times where it was, they would get second and third chances to go up with the basketball and potentially have a layup. But Nevada would have just bodies down there, and it would just be like a back-and-forth kind of a thing until a foul happened or till a Nevada player eventually did get a rebound. Yeah. Or, of course, it went in, but that didn't happen very often. You didn't see many second-chance points. You saw Nevada forcing New Mexico, kind of like forcing its hand to say, earn it from the stripe, and that's when it kind of came back to haunt them in a way. So credit Nevada defensively for at least battling down low. And you know what? In those types of situations, forcing them – to go to the line to get their two points ended up being very impactful, as we saw. Yeah, it did. It left a lot of points off the board, and 
I just think Nevada did a really good job defensively down low. I mean, they, they didn't rack up very many blocks. Himes only had a couple blocks. I mean, that's good, obviously. Cambridge had a block. Warren had a block, but it's mostly just hands up, contest as well as you can, and hopefully they miss it, which they did a lot. I mean, both teams only both teams combined for 10 second-chance points. New Mexico had five. Nevada had five, so yeah, there wasn't a lot. And New Mexico had six or 18 offensive rebounds. Yeah, shows just how much little how little second chance points they had, you know. Once again, that's all Nevada can do as from as a defensive standpoint, just put your hands up, stick to the fundamentals and if you have to foul at certain points, foul and make them get it from the line. So, credit Nevada in many aspects defensively. It's one of the reasons why they came out with a win in game 1, per se. Yeah. And it's also cool because I mean, I guess we didn't really talk about it on the last podcast because we didn't get we didn't get too much into it, but just the storyline with Alford going up against Paul Weir. I mean, both coaches were pretty were pretty into it and pretty animated in both games, especially the second one. And so, I'm sure both teams wanted to go out and compete. And despite it not being in the pit, it was still a very competitive contest. And then, I don't really know if it would reflect much this way, but. The res- do you think the result would have been different if Nevada did play in the pit compared I mean, to just in a neutral site? I mean, potentially. You know, you kind of have to put in those factors. But I, I still see Nevada coming out. Just if the same performance took place on the floor, obviously not because just considering, especially in game one, how New Mexico shot so poorly from the free throw line, I don't care where you are. You know, yeah, just being in general. But at the same time, like you mentioned, even it being a neutral side game, seeing both coaches be so into it, you know, and just being so animated on the sidelines. You can what tell you, it. What you want. Yes, yeah, it was almost awesome. like it, there was times where, um, like, you could hear the screaming on TV. No, it was loud. And then there was also times where just both coaches were animated over performances. Like, Nevada started a little bit slow the second game, and Alford wasn't very happy. It was almost like watching, like, Muss again. Kind of, because Moss was also a super animated. into it and animated coach. and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's no. part of being a coach. And that's, whether it's with the referees or your own play, there's nothing wrong with being animated, I would say. I mean, Oh, nothing at all. It was just like something you notice when you're watching the game. Definitely. It's one of the coolest aspects. Sometimes it's just seeing that kind of battle on the sidelines and seeing how coaches get into it and just seeing Alford bring some of that aggressiveness. Because for the most part, he keeps his cool. He's cool mm-hmm. Steve. That's kind of like cool the motto. Steve. But at the same time, just seeing some of that out of him, it was really cool to see. <laughs> well, let's get to the second game. Nevada had a much better shooting performance this time around. They hit a season-high 13 threes, and they won 84-74. Both teams really shot the ball better than they did. New Mexico wasn't as bad from the free throw line. They were 19 of 29, which actually ended up being the difference in the game, kind of. And if you I mean if they made all of their free throws, they would have tied the game. But if Nevada also made all of their free th- free throws, they would have won the game by but I by I believe three points. Yeah, once again, comes down to those those types of opportunities. But like you said, Nevada had a much better game all around offensively, and we needed it. It's good to see some guys show up. Yeah, Nevada would have won eighty eight to eighty four if 
all of the free throws were made, but still a great shooting performance from the team. Uh, Nevada shot 49% from the field, 52% from the three-point line. They shot on 25 attempts from beyond the arc. They were 21 of 25 from the free throw line, so that's that goes to an 84% uh, free throw percentage, which is, which is really good. Um, New Mexico shot 45% from the floor and 39% from deep, so that was their best shooting performance because they haven't they didn't eclipse 55 points in the previous three conference games, including the first one against Nevada, and so reaching 74 was was like a positive or a moral victory um, in that regard. But and they had their best shooting performance, but they still couldn't squeak out the victory just because of probably the free throw shooting from Nevada and just the shot making ability in general. Oh yeah. I mean, Nevada was all over it offensively and they had five guys in double digit scores who I know we'll get into. And it was just one of the best, if not the most impressive offensive performance Nevada's had all year, maybe from like individual standpoints, it seems like each player just kind of put their skills on display individually in a way. So it was really cool to see. Yeah, Grant Sherfield had a season high or a career high twenty eight points and six of thirteen shooting. He hit five of eight from beyond the arc. He was spectacular. Eleven, yeah, eleven of twelve from the free throw line. He was really a beneficiary late, um, and a, and a reason why Nevada won the game was was because of his uh, all around shooting performance. He also had eight assists or a team high eight assists, and Desmond Cambridge had 15 points just on 5 of 17 shooting. Warren Washington had 10 points. Meeks had 10 points. Kane Milling had a career-high 14 points on a perfect 4-4 shooting from deep. And so that was a little bit of a spark, and especially he had a couple threes in the second half that really sparked Nevada's offense and kind of got them out of their, not a rut, but because Nevada was, it was like a jostle back and forth between the two teams late in the game, and Milling hit a few threes that really helped Nevada pull away, and so did Cambridge. Definitely. And his offensive improvements, especially in that game, were much needed, like you said. And being 4 for 4 from 3, you've seen kind of the growth in Milling's game kind of expand. You know, he never really shot many threes last year as a freshman, but seeing that kind of confidence tick up this year has been huge. And we can, I think as we'll get into throughout this podcast, we can really use a third scorer if some of these box scores haven't mentioned it already. So Kane Milling being able to pour in 14 and maybe just being able to chip in with double digits on a nightly basis could go a long way for Nevada as a whole. Since yeah. We haven't been getting in so much, uh, it, talking about it, so much of the basketball aspect of things. We just want to talk about a few things, but we'll talk about that and recap Nevada wins basketball against New Mexico after the break. And we're back. We're going to be talking about some of the early positives, negatives. We have a much bigger sample than we did uh, last time we talked about this. I think we did it after three or four games, something like that. So we're going to talk about some early positives, negatives, and just some different, I guess, storylines that we're coming up with um, and questions early in the season. We're through 11 games. Nevada's 8-3 and three on the season. They've won four of their last five games. 
Isaiah, what are some early positives that you can take away from this 11-game start this season? If I had to make it into, like, a headline form, I think the first positive I would show out is, like, I would say it's sort of, like, individual scoring has been on display, or at least, like, Sherfield and, like, I'm trying to phrase it into, like, a headline form. Like, Sherfield, Cambridge, live up to the billing, or something like that. I think throughout these 11 games, you've seen just how talented both of those guards are in different aspects and how impactful they are offensively to the team. It's almost like when they go, we go, especially on the offensive It's exactly end. like that. It's, I hate saying that, but it's been the case through 11 games, and to their credit, they shouldered much of the offensive load, and for the most part, they've carried it in different ways. I mean, I know we've seen Cambridge have his ups and his downs, but in a way, he's really showcased his microwave scoring ability. All he needs to see is like two or three shots drop, and he can be a threat throughout the rest of the night. And Sherfield's just kind of dual threat ability in a lot of ways, being able to put the ball on the floor, score at will, and dish out for the rest of the offense has been tremendous to this point. So in a lot of ways, on top of that, you know, just individual scoring. It's not really – we're not seeing much ball movement at the moment, not much – assist making and playmaking but we're seeing a lot of individual talent being played on the floor I would say so it's like Meeks's ability to stretch the floor and get down get big down low we've seen Warren Washington chip in offensively to showcase what he's able to do I'd like to see it kind of come together more as a team unit especially in the half court set but that would be my first positive is just the new pieces we got for the year have really lived up to that kind of hype and expectation offensively. Do you agree with that? Yes, but I can also very much easily see that as a negative. Definitely, which I think we'll get into, but at the same time, we needed both Cambridge, especially just highlighting Cambridge and Sheffield to produce offensively, and I think they've done that to this point. Just inefficiently, I think we could easily argue that in some ways, and... I know. For Desmond, yes. Grant, not yeah. necessarily. It's just been it's been kind of weird how this offense has formed. We haven't really seen it come together with all five key pieces on the floor. And I don't think we've found a lineup yet that we're truly comfortable with throughout any course or stretch of a game. But hopefully we'll kind of find that. But to this point, I would say just the newest additions have been an impact offensively. I think my second... This is probably my last just because I know you got a couple of your own. I think I mentioned this on the last pod or at least the last like early takeaway was just seeing some of the younger talent being played on display. We're seeing guys like Trey Coleman, DeAndre Henry, and now the arrival of Alem Husenovic, who I know we didn't talk about two or three games in. Just seeing some of the young, talented freshmen being able to play on the floor, seeing some of that sprinkle in. I think that's always kind of cool. Because we haven't seen that these past couple years under the Alfred regime. We've been very heavy in terms of seniors, departing seniors, juniors who, or junior, who have declared for the draft and stuff like that. So we're kind of heavy loaded in the experience category. But seeing some of those younger pieces being able to play in a very short amount of time, too, I'm expecting to see Daniel Foster as well. So that'll be exciting. So as a whole, that's kind of been the two key positives for me. And that's Kind of been the billing to this year is just my two biggest takeaways and positives to this point in the year. What are yours? I would say Nevada's 
ability to get to the free throw line, they've been attacking, and a lot of that has been Grant. And sometimes Warren when he's in the paint, sometimes Zane when he's in the paint. Mostly Grant, though. And because we talked about earlier how Nevada has struggled shooting from the free throw line. They've been much better as of late, as we talked about earlier. But I think Grant's ability and just overall this team's ability to get to the free throw line has been really like key. Um, we're averaging 22.3 free throw attempts per game, which is fourth in the conference. We are shooting the free we're shooting at a 73% clip, which is second in the conference. And we are making 16.3, which calculates to 16.3 makes from the free throw line, which is second in the conference. So we've been able to get to the free throw line at a higher rate. Another one is just the ability, not really putting this together on the fly, but there was questions coming into the year like, how is this team going to play or perform? And Nevada, albeit not having a great schedule or not having a hard schedule, but there's, they still may have manufactured eight wins in 11 games, which is, I, I would say, positive, and Alford's, like, slowly building something. Oh, definitely. It has, I think you mentioned it, like, in terms of the free throw shooting, too. It hasn't been pretty <laughs> in many ways. Like, we've had to, just like referencing game one of New Mexico... We've had to kind of muster up some wins and really dig deep to beat some of these teams. But I think that kind of shows the toughness of this program that Alford is instilling into his guys. And I think they're really playing hard. And even when shots aren't falling, we're still finding ways to get to the line. We're doing it, as you mentioned, at a tremendous clip. So just finding those ways to win can really help a team going forward. So being 8-3 and three on, this, on the season, I know, like you said, we haven't played the most formidable opponents, but you'll take that. It's a solid record to have 11 games in, and a lot of that's due to kind of our, say, just effort and intensity on the floor on both ends. Yeah, and at least lately, Nevada's ability, we, we talked about earlier in the season how they start slow offensively, and really since the William Jessup game, we've been really good, and, and we played seven games over that stretch. We're averaging 76 points a game and allowing 68. I mean, I would like the allow number to be a little lower than it is, but Nevada shooting 46.7% from the field and 34% from the three-point line, I guess you would take that. And so Nevada's been much better offensively, and so they're kind of very slowly but surely putting things together in a sense, I would say. Um, there's still some questions on... Uh, the, the who's going to be the third scorer and the uh, really who's going to be the third shot creator, um, but there which we which we might not have a complete answer to for the rest of the season. Um, but it's also just putting this team together, or this team is slowly but surely gelling together, and it's cool. Of course, it's resulted in four win or five wins. Or, no, four wins out of the last five games. Yeah, it's been impressive to this point, and just hope we can kind of continue that and, like you said, gel more, especially offensively as a unit. What are some negatives? Some neg- yeah, I mean, the couple that I found that I think we mentioned early on in this podcast and just recently was, number one, was just the lack of a third score to this point. I think we have guys who are able to do that, but 
at this point, it's just been very inconsistent. If it isn't Grant and it isn't Desmond, in a lot of ways, we are shorthanded and they have to carry much of the offensive load. And when they're not shooting well, we struggle offensively. And it, we just haven't been able to find that consistent third scorer, like whether it's been Zane Meeks, whether it's been Kane Milling, Warren Washington. It's just kind of been this weird hybrid mix. And I think that's really hurt also offensively. And that kind of leads to the second negative to this point was just the lack of ball movement. We haven't really seen much crisp passes, nothing really... Not much sharing of the basketball a lot of ways. Some guys really do take the air out of the ball and, you know, showcase their abilities in one-on-one and isolation situations. So we haven't seen much ball movement getting guys involved throughout the course of a game. I think we see some of that unselfishness in the open court, or in the open court, in the open floor, especially in transition in some ways. But in the half-court setting, I think a little bit, or at least some of it has been underwhelming. And I think it's kind of hurt our, our offensive potential to this point. I would say in times of chaos or in like chaotic situations, like if a team goes on a 12-0 run late in the game and Nevada really can't get a basket, I would agree with you. But to some extent in the half court, there is like some ball movement or, I mean, I'm maybe not as much as you would like to see, for example, or for instance, but there's some ball movement going on, like whether it's, an entry pass to the high post. Like guys getting guys like Warren or Zay involved or in the pick and roll, for example. But like in times of when you need a basket, there hasn't been a lot because it's been a lot of Grant and Desmond, as we've mentioned before. And that's also just where, who, that also just leads me to my next question. Do you think Nevada, one, do you think Nevada needs a third scorer? And two, who is that? Because I, I have a couple in mind. Yeah. Oof. I mean, that brings us, I know that'll be our third point. And I think in some ways they do need a third scorer. Someone who can at least consistently produce double digits on a nightly basis. Because I think as we go, you know, as we progress throughout the year, they could game plan for Grant and Desmond. And... That can really hurt us. I think we really do need a third score. And there's some candidates who I think could step up. You know, do I believe Kane Milling can produce 10 to 12 points a night? Potentially, especially as he grows into his three-point range capabilities, he'd be a candidate for me. Warren Washington can use his size and athleticism down low. He's been able to kind of string together some performances. And, of course, Zane Meeks, who's been tremendous at points offensively. And especially, as we mentioned, he's been great on the boards. But then there's nights he simply doesn't put up many shot attempts and has single digits. So it's been kind of inconsistent from all three of them. But if I had some candidates, it'd be Kane and Zane for that matter. But I really do think we do need a third scorer in so many aspects. Just as the season progresses, it would give us another element offensively. Someone new to focus on. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you there. The two guys from me are just Zane and Kane, or Zane, not Kane, Zane and Warren. I don't think Kane can be that third scorer, at least not yet. It's going to be a while for him, and I think Alford would have to give him more minutes and him with him more opportunities because when he's on the floor, it's not always, but 
most of the time I would say, I wish there was lineup data that we could look at, but mostly I would say it'd be with Cambridge or Sheffield or both. And so it's the ball is going to be in their hands a lot. And for Kane, it's just, all right, can I get some catch and shoot opportunities and create off that? Whether it's a pump fake and a rip through and attack the rim, or if I could make the extra pass or whatever the case may be. I, of course, in the second game we saw against New Mexico, he was getting catch and shoot opportunities and he was knocking them down. So his confidence built up and he was taking more shots per se, but he hasn't really stepped into that role of being a third scorer, at least not yet. My answer right now, if you were to, if I were to like put put money on it, who'd be Nevada's third scorer at the end of the year, I'd probably say it was Warren, um, just because he's been so involved in these last several games offensively. I know he got off to the slow start to begin the season, but he's averaged 11 points a game in the last eight games. And so he's been he's been consi- not consistently, but he's been getting in double digits a lot. And as you said, I agree with your point on Zane to where it's there's some nights where he'll hit four threes on six attempts, or or and then there's other nights where he he's not super involved offensively. That doesn't mean he's making not making an impact. But we saw the first game against Mexico, he had three points, but he also had ten rebounds. So he's obviously making an impact in that department, but. He's not always going to get his shot attempts off. It just depends on how the defense is playing him and just how the game is flowing in. That's a li- there's a little bit of inconsistencies, a little bit of inconsistency there. Yeah, I agree. It'll be weird to see and interesting to see who can really become that third score, but obviously we have some candidates available. Who do you think is the third This is the pro- this is like this this is why I said your first point about being positive is also a negative. Is also yeah. a negative because shot creation. Um, Grant has been Grant and maybe Desmond have been the only shot creators in terms of one creating shots for yourself and two being able to create for your other teammates. And I don't think Nevada has many shot creators outside of Sheffield and maybe maybe Cambridge because Nevada's averaging 13.8 assists per game. Sherfield's third in the conference averaging 5.4 assists per game while six in the conference and scoring at 17.2 points per game. But Cambridge is second on the team with just two and a half assists a game. There's one more person who is, has, has more than one. And that's Trey Coleman, who's averaging, I believe 1.6 assists a game. And so there really hasn't been a whole lot of shot creation. Um, again, for yourself and other teammates, like I don't see, I know this is like a bad example because he's young, but I don't see Coleman, for example, creating a shot for himself. I mean, he might he might make the extra pass to the teammate because, I mean, I don't think, and also I don't think Alford is asking much of him to do offensively because, he is a freshman because he is still trying to get experience, which is perfectly okay. But for example, Kane, who's the backup point guard off the bench, I don't, he hasn't been able to create his own shot yet. As I just mentioned, he's not mostly catch and shoot player, but I mean, there's been times this season where he's been able to take it to the rack and potentially create opportunities for himself there, which awesome. That's great. But 
I do believe Nevada will have to have a third shot creator um, because, as you mentioned before, there's there's going to be teams like San Diego State, which we're, is going to be coming up on the schedule this week, and Boise State and Utah State and Colorado State who are going to be game planning for Grant, specifically and potentially Desmond. Um, especially with these two-game series, there's going to be adjustments to make for the second game. Especially if either Grant or Desmond go off in the first game, there's going to be some heavy adjustments being made. So Nevada's going to have to find a way to generate offense, find a way to generate offense uh, through other avenues. Definitely, and I just think at this point there isn't a viable third option. I mean, really, we may have seen flashes of it in bits and pieces, but consistently speaking, we haven't seen another player who can consistently create his own shot or create another shot for others. So. It's just crucial at this point offensively just to see who else can really step up in that kind of offensive role and take over, not even take over, just try to contribute in that sense and really kind of take some of the load off of Grant's and Desmond's shoulders in that form or fashion. I think there's several candidates who have the talent and potential to do so. They just haven't, like you said, they haven't really stepped into that role yet. And I think we may need to as the season goes along. And also something I want to talk to you about. What is this rotation? Funky. It's, it's, I'm not, I'm trying to put this in a way to where, like, I don't, I think Alfred's still testing the rotation a little bit. But it's been, like, if you've noticed anything, it's been wildly inconsistent. With, okay, so I think there's seven, let's go over it. I think there's seven, Seven solidified rotation guys, or at least as of right now, barring injuries or COVID or whatever. Sherfield, Cambridge, Coleman, Meeks, Washington. That's the starting five. And then the two off the bench who I think have really kind of solidified their spots is Kane and KJ Himes. I know of a lot this season we have seen. We have seen Alem. So that could be an eighth guy. There has been flashes, at least lately, of DeAndre Henry. I don't know if that's going to be consistent. And another guy who's gotten very inconsistent minutes is Robbie Rebounds. Robbie Robinson. Robbie, early in the season, was... I mean, we, of course, when we did the basketball preview, we didn't have... At least I didn't have him starting just because of the lineup fit with Warren. Um, but I still thought Robbie had a solidified spot in this rotation. That's not always the case now. No, he had nine combined minutes in the two games versus Air Force. He didn't play at all in the first game versus New Mexico, and then he had seven minutes in this last game versus New Mexico. So I'm, I, I still think Alford's still testing because usually Alford wants to get seven, or usually he wants to get nine to ten deep. And so I'm still interested to see how this plays out over the season. DeAndre Henry's played really good. So, I mean, if he finds a way into the rotation, awesome. Um, but it has that hasn't always been the case this year. No. Yet. And yeah. again, we're only eleven games through. We're a third of the we're a third of the way through the season. So I'm not saying it's like we need to have a rotation now, but it's just been, at least as of late, inconsistent and usually and I don't think I think we need to 
have a solution sooner rather than later. Definitely. No, I agree with you. I think at points Alfred has been experimenting and trying to kind of find that that right mix of that right kind of balance for the rotation and starting five. And it's just been interesting. And I think as the team kind of gels more with so many new faces now that we're 11 games in, I think we're starting to see some of it unfold. But as as the team gels more, I think Alfred will find a more solidified rotation. And that may be new faces. You know, maybe we'll see more of Alem Husenovic or DeAndre Henry. Maybe Robbie rebounds will get some more minutes here and there. But I think at the point, it's those kind of core seven members that we do see consistently. And everything from then on is kind of show me what you're made of and really battle for those minutes. And that can help in some aspects. But it'll be interesting to see just how deep he goes and how much he experiments throughout these next and then there's games. also been like a couple of games where you we see Christian Corsell getting a couple first half minutes. It's just it's so it's 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 I mean it's probably pretty common. I don't know because I don't follow every single school because there's way too many schools in college basketball. But um, you would want to get a you would want to get a rotation set hopefully sooner rather than later and. It's just been a little bit chaotic because there's games where it's like, wait, where's Robbie? This guy's a, a a good defensive wing who could add rebounding off the bench. Like, why isn't he playing? Maybe it's something he sees in practice. Maybe, maybe he's battling through an injury that we don't know about. Whatever the case may be. Hopefully, we're able to set something in stone because it'd be kind of a wild storyline to have Robbie. Who played? Who started in all thirty-one games last year? Just get kicked out of the rotation. Yeah, as being one of the more experienced players this year. Isn't that just a little bit funky? Oh, definitely. If you would have told me preseason that Robbie would be getting nine combined minutes in a two-game series, kind of would have called you crazy. But that's how things have unfolded this year, and it's just been weird. Maybe it's maybe it's his lack of offensive versatility. Or maybe it's the fit with Warren. I I was going to say the fit with Warren, too. Like, I don't really know at this point, but, you know, I I trust in Alford to find whatever works best for him and his team. But, yeah, his his absence from the floor has been definitely interesting, to say the least, considering he started all 31 games last season. But this is a whole new team. It's a whole new kind of offensive game plan, and, you know, things fit, things don't. So maybe Robbie's skill set doesn't really fit for – Whatever Alfred has in playing this year, yeah, that could uh, that could easily be an option. Yeah, instead of Nevada, we'll have two games against San Diego State this week. We're recording this on Tuesday. It'll be on Thursday at seven p.m. and then on Saturday. Two pretty, I would say, Nevada's toughest test of the year so far. San Diego State, despite coming off the chaotic. Not chaotic. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, mm. Shocking seventy to sixty seven loss against Colorado State, which they blew a thirty three to seven lead with twenty six point lead, the largest in Mountain West history. They won last night versus Colorado State seventy eight sixty five. Jordan Shackle had a career high twenty eight points and career high eight threes. He was the third player, I think, since 1996 or 1997, third Aztec player to have 28 points, nine rebounds, three assists, and two steals in a single game. That's a that's a pretty like funky stat line. Um, 
And he, I, I think he came off the bench last night for San Diego State. So, I mean, they're a very deep team. They, they're the best team that Nevada's faced so far. They're very disciplined defensively. Of course, we've talked about Matt, Matt Mitchell on this podcast before and how good he's been. He's their leading score at 14.9 points a game. He's not their only one who's a very good player. They have a lot of talent all around their roster. Terrell Gomez, who was kind of my sneaky preseason, could potentially be an all-Mountain West player. I mean, he's obviously not that, but he is averaging 9.6 points a game off the bench. He transferred in from, um, I think it was Cal State Northridge, but I can't remember. He is he's he's a small guy at 5'9", but he's bulky. He's really just, like, not afraid. He'll pull up from anywhere. He shoots 45% from deep. Shackle shoots 46% from deep. And so they got multiple guys who can uh, shoot from beyond the arc. They're shooting as a team 38% from three-point land, uh, which leads the conference. In conference, in their two conference games versus Colorado State, again, despite the shocking what-the-heck-happened-in-this-game loss, they have made half their three-pointers, or nearly half. They're shooting 49% from deep in two conference games. Um, on 14 threes, they've made 14 threes a game. And so that'll be something to look out for. They, again, very uh, disciplined defensively. They have an elite shot blocker, probably the second best shot blocker in the conference in Nathan Mensa. And so they have a lot of, they have a lot of weapons that can beat you, and Nevada's going to have to play a really disciplined game. Oh, you. this is going to be, like you just said, the toughest test of the year thus far. SDSU is legit. In so many ways, they got so many offensive go-to weapons. Matt Mitchell just continues to improve so many ways offensively. I'm so impressed with how he's been able to kind of evolve his game over these past few seasons, and he's really turned into a talented player. Much respect to Matt Mitchell. And just SDSU as a whole. We know what they are as a program, especially in basketball. They're, you know, they're loaded with talent, like you said, very disciplined and don't make many mistakes, and... This year, they're just shooting the ball at a pretty ridiculous clip, especially from three-point land. So Nevada's going to have their kind of hands full, especially defensively and offensively. You may have to match them point for point because this may turn into some high-scoring affairs if you want to kind of stick with the Aztecs in that regard. And San Diego State's one of the probably the best team in the conference, or at least they have been this year defensively. The group under Dutch doesn't allow a lot of points. They switch everything. Um, they don't foul a lot. They force a lot of turnovers. They average nearly nine steals a game, which is the top of the conference. So, And when they aren't methodically beating you offensively, they'll they'll get out and go, and they're very good on breaks. So, again, Nevada, who had a, turnover, who had a problem with turnovers in different stints this year, will have to be very... Again, discipline offensively, and you're right, they might have to match them point for point, which Nevada will have to make their shots. Yeah, it's gonna, it may just come down to that, and that's going to be a tough test of it than itself. And, you know, this could be one of the games where SDSU really hones in on Sherfield and Cambridge, and Cambridge. for that matter as well. And so that's, someone else is going to have to step up. And who is that going to be? That's been the question throughout this whole podcast, and if there's ever going to be a time to do that, it's going to have to be this game if you want to get a win because SDSU is they're legit in many aspects and many facets of the game. Yeah, they're 24th in the nation 
defense in defensive in defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. So this team is really good. They're only allowing sixty one points a game on forty three percent shooting. This team is this team is really good defensively. And I don't think they're gonna lose I mean they won last night at home, but I don't think they're gonna lose three out of four at home. Or three out of their last four at home because they lost to BYU seventy two sixty two earlier in December. They lost to Colorado State and again just a crazy game. But they won last night. I don't think they're going to lose three out of four. I mean, Nevada's going to have to be almost. Um, we're not trying to say perfect, but they're going to have to be perfect. Yeah, can we? Yeah, they're like, going to have to. It's going to be have to be an almost flawless performance. So, I don't know. A lot of it's not in our favor, but we'll certainly see. I mean, I think the one thing we can take from Nevada at this point is this team fights for everything it has. It has a lot of grit and hustle to it. So, you know, we're going to see if that really unfolds over these next couple games. And a growing trend with Nevada's losses is the opponents making a lot of threes and opponents shooting well from the three-point line. Like against Grand Canyon, they shot nearly 50% from the three-point line. They shot 47% on 19 attempts. Against San Francisco, they shot 44, or San Francisco shot 44% from the three-point line on 34 attempts. They had 15 makes that game. San Diego State's capable of making 15 threes and beating you. Nevada lost by... 25 points that game so i mean obviously it wasn't a pretty performance for on either end for nevada but in nevada's wins they've been very good at holding teams to a low three-point percentage but nevada's losses they've been susceptible to allowing a lot of or allowing a very high three-point percentage and so against the best shooting team in the conference nevada's gonna have to get get it get a hand up uh be be tough hard closeouts and I don't want to say pray for misses, but you're going to have to be very disciplined defensively if you want to win this game. Oh, definitely. It's just going to be it's going to be a true test for Nevada to see what it's made of to this point in the year, and it's going to be very interesting to see just how they adjust and kind of how they respond because I think SDSU is going to come out firing, especially at home. So we'll see. And this is a young Nevada team who hasn't, who hasn't really been tested like that, you know, this to this point. So it'll be a learning curve, I think, no matter what, win or lose. But, you know, I guess we'll see to that matter. Yeah, again, four guys to look out for. Jordan Shackle, Matt Mitchell, Nathan Mensa, and Terrell Gomez. Those are at least the four guys on my list from who I'm going to be keeping my close eye on. I mean, of course, again, they have a ton of people who can beat you. Definitely. All right. Women, we close out the seg or close out the podcast. Women's basketball played two games over the weekend, both resulting in losses. They're now on a three-game losing streak. There, it was their first two conference games of the year because their previous two against Air Force, which was much earlier in the season, both got canceled because of a COVID outbreak in uh, Colorado Springs at the time. And so they played two games. This is their first two conference games of the season. They lost to New Mexico. 88-69, and then the second game they lost 78-67. The first game was a blowout. Uh, the second game, Nevada played ball through three quarters. We're only down by three heading into the fourth quarter and just couldn't squeak away with the victory. New Mexico put on a run late, and Nevada couldn't respond back. Yeah, I mean, it's just been a tough stretch of games for the women's team to this point. Opponents are just shooting lights out against them, and despite some decent offensive performances – it's not going to make up the lack of defensive effort and execution on that end of the floor. So, you know, after starting the year really well, the women's team has dropped a couple, and it's due to that kind of lack of defensive intensity in a lot of aspects. So in that 
as we mentioned, that 86-69 loss to New Mexico. We did see some decent offensive performances. I mean, Nia Alexander had a team high, 16 points on 6 of 11, shooting with 7 rebounds. She's continued to really improve and be that kind of secondary ball handler and offensive force for Nevada. So she continues, and of course, we talk about her almost every podcast because she's been great up to this point is Deja Hamilton. She had 12 points, but kind of one of her one of her roughest shooting nights in the season was on 23 attempts. So, you know, you like to see the confidence. She is one of the leading scorers and one of the best offensive performers to this point for a reason. Just lots of shots attempts that, you know, sometimes shots don't fall in a lot of ways. But as a whole, she went two of eight from deep. You know, not the best performance by any means, but just something to keep an eye on for New Mexico. As we mentioned, shot lights out game one. They hit 14 threes. I don't care what you can do offensively because to Nevada's credit, putting up 69 points and shooting decently from the field, when your opponent hits 14 threes, it's almost like a huge advantage in so many aspects. And credit New Mexico in that regard. I mean, you know, Jaden De La Carta had a team high 21 points, team high nine rebounds and five assists. She filled up the stat sheet. Was a Shaquille Magruder had 16 points as well on the night she chipped in and had a well-rounded offensive game. So it was kind of tough for Nevada to really get back into this game, especially because New Mexico got out to such a hot start from the first quarter. They shot 60%, had a 20-point lead, and to Nevada's credit, they continued to battle and try to fight within that contest. But, you know, they basically... You know, Lobos had a huge double-digit advantage for much of the game, and much of that was due to their lights-out performance offensively. So Nevada must improve on that end of the floor and continue to kind of grow into its offensive profile as a whole. So, Yeah, Nevada's second loss, they committed 19 turnovers. Killer. Yeah, they had just that's 11 more than they had in the first contest. They had just eight. Nevada did shoot, or New Mexico cooled off. From the three-point line, they only shot 21% on 18 attempts from deep. So there was definitely, they definitely cooled off there. So Nevada was in the game. They were down three, as I mentioned before, through three quarters. And so they really put together a, a good fight this time around, but just couldn't come away with the win. LaPresia Johnson had 17 points on 4-7 shooting. Later, Oduafi had 16 points off the bench. Um yeah, Alexander and Bethany Carsons both had 10 points apiece. So Nevada had a well-rounded offensive game. But the, again, New Mexico was also just just the better team in the game, partly because of those turnovers and their ability to force those turnovers. They had 10 steals on the afternoon, and Elise Hurst had 20 points. On, Twenty points. De La Cerda had 12 points. Uh, Latora Duff, uh, one of the Duff sisters, had 10 points. And so, and the other, they bo- actually both had 10 points. And so, Nevada wasn't able to squeak away the victory in either of these two games, but they were, they were able to uh, show their fight and resilience, and especially in the second game, but they just couldn't, they couldn't come away with the victory. And, I mean, it's not like Nevada shot bad or anything. They shot 46%. New Mexico shot 48%. And so there wasn't a huge discrepancy in terms of the shooting in the shooting performance. And 
both teams shot decently well from the free throw line too. It's not like Nevada cost them. Nevada shot over eighty percent. Mexico shot seventy one percent. And so it's not again. It's not like free throws cost the game. It really just came down to the turnovers, which again nineteen turnovers in a, in, in any game you don't want to see. Yeah, I mean, self inflicted wounds in a lot of ways, and that came back to bite Nevada, and just. Simple mistakes on that end lead to easy points for New Mexico and credit the Lobos for taking advantage. So, 17 points off turnovers for the Lobos. I mean, that's that's kind of the game right there. It's Because when you're in a back-and-forth battle and keeping with one another offensively from that standpoint, but when you give the ball away, as simple as that, uh, there's a likelihood you may lose the game. It's, <laughs> it's as simple as that in some aspects. So just something to build upon. Um, there's still a lot of faith left in this women's team. They have so much talent offensively. You see so many girls chip in with double-digit scoring on any kind of night. I think so many of the team players have the ability to drop 15 points easily in so many ways, but just have to be more disciplined with the ball and really improve defensively as seen with this New Mexico showcase. So, you know, plenty of season left amidst with COVID and everything like that, but just something to keep an eye on because they've stumbled to this point. Do you have anything more to add? No, sir. I mean, that, that should wrap it up for the most part. Like and subscribe. Give us a rating. A five-star. Or a reminder. Nevada plays San Diego State this week. Both men's and women's play on Thursday and Saturday, of course. Nevada men's and women's. Nevada women's will play at home. 6 p.m. against San Diego State at Lawler Event Center on Thursday. Nevada will be on the road at San Diego State at 7 p.m., and that all, that game will be on CBS Sports Network. And so both teams will play San Diego State. Tough competition. Um, excellent basketball school, so Nevada's going to have their work cut out for them. That'll wrap it up. Like and subscribe. Give us a rating, a five-star rating, hopefully. Thank you for listening. Um, Isaiah's real, real name is not Steve. Thank you. Um, it's Reggie. You're right. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know why I said that with the slashes. But anyways, uh, <laughs> um, thank you again. Um, we hope you have a great week.